coming up in this episode of the podcast, we look at the final days of the regular season before turning our eyes to the postseason. We take a look at the championship game and announce our awards for this year's Super Pessis Roundup podcast award show. That's all coming up on this episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. Welcome to the September 2020 edition of Super Pessus Roundup Podcast. It's the last regular episode of the season. And joining me are my co-hosts from across the pond. It's Ron Bronson. Ron, how are you doing? Good to be here. Good to see you both. And of course, as ever, uh, the resident coach for this podcast. It's uh, my friend from Finland. It's Mikko Pirhonen. Uh, Mikko, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's uh, funny to think that we actually got through the Pesapalo season with the, like, how should I say it? Safe. That's that's the main word. And uh, we got the games played and it was, yeah, it was absolutely necessary for so many people around here. Well, absolutely. And it, it was um, it was incredible to see the season go off you know, pretty much without a, a, a hitch. Um, there was a little scare when somebody tested positive for coronavirus who was in the stands at um, the Sotkamo KPL game, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail later. But I think overall, uh, everything went really well. You know, we managed to get a, a season and it was, it was an incredible season. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Ron, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I've watched more Pace Apollo this season than I ever have, you know, um, just because of it was, you know, in the beginning, there weren't a whole lot of things on TV here, and also just, you know, just, I don't know, just the timing of it seemed to work for me to be able to do that, and I just can't say enough good things about, about like you said, how, like, how the season was executed, um, how those things put together, competitiveness of the players, um, it just was a really, really enjoyable, I mean, you know, under duress, but still a really, really fun season, you know, definitely was hard to see it at. In, in our previous show, we were talking about who was going to make the top eight. Um, so it was a bit of a scramble in the end for some of the teams. Um, Patioki made it into the top eight. In fact, they, they were four points ahead of, of IPV, uh, who finished ninth. Um, a bit of a disappointing end to the season for IPV. Um, I was looking at the, the stats on it, and um, IPV had three players in the top 10 of um, players who had successful hits in the season. That was uh, Yusila, Partanen and Nurmio. And despite having three key players successfully making hits, they just couldn't get it done. Um, where do you think f- things fell apart for them, Miko? Well, I think that um, they couldn't build any kind of like sustainable system uh, the the system didn't work from one game to another. That that was the 
main thing. I mean, they had like they had top performers who could perform night after night, but um, I just think that the overall quality behind those players that was probably the main thing. And uh, I think that on the later stages of the regular season, it kind of felt like that okay, they wanted to make the playoffs, but some players were kind of switched off if you compare compare it to Batioki. That was the main reason for me uh, why they didn't make the playoffs. And uh, Batioki were assisted by the fact that uh, Yari Turmanen uh, came back from, from an injury uh, at exactly the right moment. I think I, I made a comment on Twitter that if they were going to make a film about Patioki's season this year, um, this would have been the point where the hero comes off off the bench from from being injured and and rallies the team to to the playoffs and and that's pretty much what he did. Um, Vimpoli managed to overtake uh, KPL into third place as well. Uh, Ron, I know you've seen a lot of um, Vimpoli's games this year. Um, they ended the season, well, the regular season, pretty strong, didn't they? I mean, we talked about this in the last show. I mean, that team is a tale of two, a tale of two, a tale of two seasons. You know, in June and early July, that team looked like you know you could see the, you could see the tweets, and everybody was like, "Ah, this team is driving us crazy. This is the worst." And then all of a sudden, it clicked, and they just they would and they just grinded at every win they got. I mean, they had the crazy seven win seven game win streak. I mean, every match they played, they seemed to be able to dig in. If they needed three runs, they got four. If they needed two runs, they got three. And they you know, the games were heartache inducing. But it was so fun to watch them grind those wins out and to figure out. And you thought it would bode well in the playoffs, and it almost, you know, it almost worked out for them in the playoffs. Didn't quite, but kind of ran out of gas. But yeah, it was a really fun. I, I mean, it's for a team that we were not expecting. We all talked about this. We we're not expecting the team to do a whole lot this season to to be young and to be able to learn how to win consistently. And again, they won big games. They win games that were close. To do that, it gives you confidence that next season and a full season, hopefully. That a team like that, if you're a Vimpoli fan or if you're not, you enjoy good baseball, that they'd be able to keep keep that going. Because it was really, really enjoyable, like I guess, even as a casual fan, to see them learn how to win in different ways every single every single night that they would go out. Mm. Well, I, uh, I actually think that they were perhaps one of the few teams that really impressed me this year. Um, because, exactly as you say, Ron, the way they, they grew throughout the season, and uh, it was a, a really in, impressive journey to watch this kind of team that everybody thought, ah, oh, well, they're not going to make much this year. Nothing much is going to happen for them. And all of a sudden, you know, going into the postseason, they look incredibly strong. Um, one of the other teams I thought was pretty impressive this year was uh, was Mansa. Um, they had a bit of a fire in the belly, and Yuso uh, uh, Melanyemi was... Uh, uh, you know, really on form. Um, they actually finished looking at the table in twelfth, and they had the same number of points as eleventh place Koskan Korva. So, it, for, for me, that was that, that was pretty impressive for a team that had only just uh, come up into uh, Super Pesis. Um Miko, who who else impressed you this season? Well, first of all, Bimpeli. Uh, they were my, what I called my, yeah, but team for a long stay, like a, 
for a long period of the season. I mean, uh, whenever I was doing any analysis text or anything uh, regarding Bimbley and their games, it was always about the okay, okay, they will uh, concede few runs uh, in their home games, but when they go to away games, they they are a different animal, and when they when they play away games on their area, which they did more this year, they won against Tena Yoki and Kosken Korva and stuff like that. And I, I was always thinking and writing that, yeah, but when they go somewhere else, they won't. And they, <laughs> and in the end, they actually did. And for example, the their final game of the season in Joensu was a prime example that they they really managed to win Joensu by being the better team. It wasn't about like Joensu playing bad or anything like that. Wimpoli played really good. I mean, collectively really good stuff. Uh, once again, Kite was a major uh, plus for me throughout the whole season. Uh, the local rival to Joensu and actually in the end they ended up in consecutive places, uh, fourth and fifth. In the in this season end, and that's that's a good platform to build on to have a like a local rivalry, and uh, but okay, I I need to say that I I I disagree about the Monsep part. I expected a whole lot more from that material, but now they will have a team that will compete for the, like the top four next season. But that's a whole different story, and. Uh... In terms of the the table, Ron, was there any uh, surprises? Anybody else who impressed you this year? I don't know about surprises in a negative, in a positive way, but I'd say that uh, we're we'll probably get into this later. But I can't help but say that uh, Kasu um, Patrick Walstein, like he's the Mike Trout of Finnish baseball right now. For the people who who watch American baseball, you'll get why that means something. Mike Trout is the best player in baseball, but he can't make the team. Never makes the playoffs. And to see a guy like Walstein on a team that finished eleventh. It's such a bummer because, especially in a, in, a, in, a, in a COVID year where everybody should be in, that you should just be good and weird teams can get into the postseason. It would have been fun to see him in that bat. Obviously, I don't want to play him, but to see that bat in the postseason, it's a bummer to see it go home. So that by far for me was the sort of the biggest, on the men's side, probably the biggest disappointment. On the women's side, I'd say that my biggest disappointment was that Virpi Huka got hurt in the championship. And so we didn't get a chance to see her really, you know, shine. She had a great season. And so to, to miss out on that, obviously, you know, Kyrgyz is was amazing all season. They were dominant. They danced. They danced. They danced in the competitions, literally danced in the competition. But still, to miss out on the second best, probably the second best player, one A, one B, best player in, in in Finnish baseball right now, men's or women's, I'd say, um, to not have her play was a real bummer. So for me, that was probably my biggest. Those two things were my biggest disappointments, I'd say. Now it was a bit of a crazy uh, season, and there was some new rules and new changes as to how um, things shaped up in the postseason. Um, mainly, the, the the most interesting thing was the fact that the top three teams got to choose their first round opponents. So, Yonsu, who finished first uh, in the regular season, they got to pick uh, first and they chose uh, eighth place Patioki. I quickly scribbled down my um, predictions who people would pick um, just before it was uh, announced. Um, 
If it was me, I probably would have picked Senioki at that stage because they didn't finish the season well, but Patioki seemed to have a bit of a spring in the step. Miko, were you surprised that uh, Yonsu chose Patioki? I was. I mean, I, I would have done the same as, as, as you said, but uh, they said that they wanted to, like, they wanted to see through the possibilities and they saw that they they have a good possibility against uh, against the strengths that Patioki has. And uh, they also thought that by picking the team that would have fallen to them naturally, it was like it was unnecessary to give any other team the advantage that picking saying okay then why did you pick us and stuff like that so uh, we have the same kind of a system in different sports in Finland uh, say in some other sports and they, that was the first time that we experienced this and uh, yeah I, th- I thought it was kind of fun I mean it it was kind of a good vibe to this whole crazy season anyway well Yonsu had uh, an exceptional defensive elements to them this year and, and Patioki had probably one of the the worst uh, offensive games in the season so I, I suppose on paper in that that respect it also worked out but given how the teams were playing towards the end of the season um, it came as no surprise then that uh, the second team to pick Sotkamo well they picked Senioki but I, I would have done the same if if um, Yonsu had picked Senioki I'd have picked uh, uh, Patioki for um, for that. Of the rest of who was left, uh, Vimpoli then uh, picked Hervinka uh, for their first round uh, ahead of Kite. Good choice, Ron. So I think I just agree with um, Amigo said. So I think you don't want to give another team bulletin board material. It's the English train. I don't know the Finnish translation for bulletin board material, but that's what that's what they were avoiding on the men's. I think on both sides, neither neither side wanted to give. Uh, the opposition, something where like, oh, you think you think you can beat us, huh? Cool, we'll show you on the field, especially in a short series too. Something you have to consider. That first round series was so short that you know a few unlucky bounces, Vancouver approved it, right? And all of a sudden, you can be in the final because you know you won some games you weren't supposed to win. Um, it's baseball, like that's one thing that translates in, in both games is is that you know it's it's a, it's a game of inches, it's a game of meters or whatever the heck. So I'm I wasn't surprised at all. I didn't expect anybody to do anything too wild. Um, because you just don't want to give your opposition, especially in a weird year where anybody can lose, you don't want to give your opposition anything. So it didn't surprise me, and I thought it was a fine decision. It didn't really have any big, um, you know, I mean, I think it bear witness. Obviously, you don't want to play Sakamo at all, right? But until the final, but I mean, if you could avoid that, that'd have been great. But otherwise, I think, you know, given the circumstances, they did all right. And then the last pairing um, was KPL um, being lumbered with uh, pretty. Uh, hot uh, Kite team that we're, we're doing very well at the end of the uh, regular season. Um, when you look at those first round games, um, the KPL Kite game was was almost on a knife edge at one point. It was uh, it was one one going into the final game. Um, did did you get a sense that maybe Kite in their anniversary year could just make that extra step? If they had, they'd have played uh, Johansson in the next round. Uh, what do you make of that, Miko? Well, before the series, I I really thought that they would. 
and I, I thought that they would ride the wave and they would go into the semifinals uh, against Jönsö. But uh, it turned out that, okay, in the first game they were completely run over. And uh, in the second game, in their home game that I was watching, it was uh, it was the other way around. The young team got to, got good support from the homestand and stuff like that. And uh, they, they showed that they are maturing into a really good team. And just in, in the third game, it was... Uh, I think that when the chips were down, uh, the KPL was just... They were more experienced and efficient when it mattered. And that's that was it. But uh, And it's... Uh, one thing that I need to say is that we always talk about those teams that time is on their side and they will have chances and stuff like that. But it's always important to remember that building a good regular season and that kind of a, like a platform, that kind of a spirit that they were able to create, that is not a given that it would happen next year. You You need to build that from the scratch again. And that, that's why I thought that it was, in a way, it was a lost chance for them anyway. Even though they, even though they overperformed, but anyway. And, uh, but KPL were the better team, that's for sure. I like, can I just want to say one quick thing about, I love that point about like that window. Teams often will, like get excited about, oh, we had a good year last year, so we'll be able to, Sometimes you got to take your window when you get it, man. Like, like those guys, those players, that team, like that's your minute. So, like, you need to like relish that, get in there, make those decisions, make those hard choices. We didn't talk about Sakamo yet. Make those hard choices because this may be your one chance. Like, Kuvala gets to the final, great, nineteen seventy five. But who knows what's going to happen next season? I thought this was their year to get that. They should have stole that when they had the chance because there's no way that next year is going to be as kind to them as this season was. So, I love your point about. Take in that window. Yeah. Teams don't do that enough. I think sometimes people just think, ah, you know, we'll get him next season. Well, will you? <laughs> well, the the other um, series uh, all went pretty much as a, I suspect everybody had thought. Yonsu um, didn't have the easiest of times against Patioki, but but they won both of their games. Uh, and again, Sotokamo, not the easiest of games against Sanioki. They didn't really bury them in either of those games but they they did win uh, both those games quite confidently um Vimpelli and uh, Hervinko was an interesting matchup in particular at uh, Piccola um I thought that was a really interesting game um lots of space obviously uh, in the stadium there Mika what did you make of that game well I made I mean I was watching the whole series I I I watched each of those games, both of those games, uh, so that I would get a complete idea about the development of this Wimperly team. Because, like I said, they previously they had been in trouble when they traveled outside their, like, physically out of, out of their comfort zone, so to speak. And, uh, but when you, when you think about the firepower that both of those teams had, uh, at bat, I think that Vimpeli was they were uh, they impressed me with their maturity, like with the level uh, of their performance. Okay, they got some. Uh, I think I were able to perform uh, 
on a high level at times, but they were able to make stops and they were able to like to stop that momentum. And that was like uh, that was my first real moment that okay, there may be something here. Yeah, I, I mean, in in the first act, so um, Hervinka really steamrolled Vimpoli ten um, one. It, it takes, like you say, a lot of maturity. Uh, to come back, dust that off. You know the scores are leveled effectively going into the second yak. So, uh, and they they won that five nothing uh, to force the uh, the extra inning, um, which then of course they they then won and uh, made it through to the semi finals. We'll take a break uh, there, and then when we come back, we'll take a closer look at the semi finals, and then the championship and the bronze matches. Okay, uh, welcome back. So, down to the final four. Uh, Yonsu versus KPL. Uh, Sokamo versus Vimpoli. Before the series started, I, I made predictions on, on both of them. I got the Sokamo-Vimpoli one pretty much spot on, uh, two to one. Um, with um, the, uh, the home game for Vimpoli being wild. And wild it was. <laughs> um, it, it was an incredible game. Um, I, words fail me to describe it. Perhaps, Ron, um, you, you could explain uh, how Vimpley came back to win game two. I mean, I, the coach, the coaches here, and you know how they came back. It was this complete lack of just like laxes and, I mean, defensive laxes and... I tweeted about that. Well, from the other account that that reminded me of in 2000, like 2015, 2016, rather, there was a major league game in Texas versus Toronto where a similar thing happened. Seventh inning, and like just like several defensive like just miscues by the defense that allowed Jose Bautista to hit this career home run that ended up blowing the series apart. Well, this is a, this is a crazier lead than that because you're down nine one. But the thing that Vimpoli did that was wise was they just kept chipping away. What they've done all season. But in an epic fashion at home, you know, the home field advantage, you got the river, just just chipping away at that lead. But still, I look at that final inning and I'm like, there's no way they're coming back. And so I'm like, let's just get just get the super inning. Let's just go. Let's just get the super inning. I want to go to the ninth inning. I can't deal with the stress of this. We're going to lose to Sakamo at home. I don't want to deal with this. And I wasn't the only one. I'm talking to Vimpoli fans. You know, we said it. We talk on Twitter and we're all in sort of the same boat. And then they just keep chipping away. And shipping away. And then they have two runners on with no out. Was it one out, two runners on? And it's nine to seven. And you're like, okay, all we need is a tie. And we win. We go home. I can't, we can go to a third game. A tie. I can take a tie. And then they blow it open, you know, with those two, those two back to back plays to go nine to eight. And then, of course, they win it with, you know, the walk off because he just let the ball go. Um, yeah, I think that that's the point that. The, the, I think more about that game. I know you want to talk about, talk about the series in general. The thing that's funny about that series is now, like, in game one, if they can hold on, they clinch in game two. Or in game three when they t- they need to lose the first set. Like, this is where those momentum pieces come in. They could have won that series. Like, going to Sakamo, like, all the pressure's on Sakamo. None of the pressure's on Vimpoli. No one expects them to be there. 
They come off the biggest high ever. I have folks who were like, I've been watching Pacers for 40 years. I've never seen a game like that. That's the best game I've ever seen. So you take that high. All you need to do, instead of losing that first set, find a way to grind that thing out so that you can win that that last game. Like, it's all about that. So it's just a funny how, you know, I mean, it's, obviously it's a consolation for us as Vimp, as if you're a Vimpoli fan, it's a consolation that, ah, you know, we, we did this thing. It's a great memory. I'm glad they won bronze because otherwise that would have been a hollow sort of high to have this low of not getting a medal at all. But it actually makes you think of what could have been. But what could have been is, is all the miscues on the base running. You know, there were, there were games where they had runners on base in the last inning and they just couldn't convert. Or they're making the mistake, you know, the play with, um, what's really impressed me about APO where, the, you know, he's, check, he's trying to hold the runner at second base. Forget who it was on second base. He's trying to hold the runner. And he keeps, you know, the video is the super paces if you're listening to this. Um, where he throws, the, throws it three or four times and finally gets the runner out. There's no way that should happen. Why is he getting a lead that big when you know he's been holding you the whole time? Why do you feel comfortable because the judge raises his hand that you're going to stand and give that big a lead and let that kid get you out? you got to be smarter than that in a game where you have to win. And so... So we talked about their poise and their their uh, ability to come back all season, but really when it mattered most, the reason they lost that series against Sakamo, which again, the pressure's on Sakamo that entire series to win that thing. The reason they lost was, were those defensive miscues? Were those base running, race running plays where the bats were doing what they did all season for Bimpoli at the end, where they're getting, they're getting guys in position to do good things, but the base runners couldn't seem to figure out how to just stay on their base, Run when you need to run or take what you're getting, you know, not running ill-advised. And that was probably, and this is where next time, the next season, Nico is going to get lots of DMs from me asking me, okay, explain the strategy to me. Explain the strategy to me. Because this is where advanced pace Apollo gets lost because I've watched enough of the game. If you are listening to this and you're like me, maybe you watched enough of this now, you kind of get it. But where you don't, there are things you just don't understand about the higher level stuff. That's where I think we can help people bridge the not in this, this episode, but bridge the game a little bit because that's where if you're a baseball fan, you get the basic idea of what's happening, but you don't understand why they would run in a certain situation or why is that a mistake or is that planned out? Who plans that? Whose coach is that? So, anyway, this is more than you wanted, but I am fired up because I have no one to talk to about this stuff. You know, I get to watch the games and, and that's it. You know, I tweet a little bit and that's all. So. Yeah, I think I think that it's all, for all the excitement of Sakamo dominating and being what Sakamo was all season, I think that Vimpoli missed the window there because they could have stole that series. Like, they were three or four plays away from stealing that thing, and it had been cool to see that a KPL, you know, 2010 reprise of KPL uh, Vimpoli uh, that we kind of got cheated out of. Although, no, taking nothing away from Sakamo. They were dominant, and they deserved their title. So I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I- I entirely agree with you on on those points, the miscues and everything. Um, and one of the things I've I've, I've noted from from Sotokoma this season was how you know relaxed the outfield sometimes seems to be. You think they ought to be able to make plays, and they they just kind of let it go. And and in game two, there they, they just kind of switched off at the end. They they'd kind of given up. Vimpley had, had broken them from a 9-1 lead. Vimpley chipped away, chipped away, chipped away, and and they were done. You know, the, the, there was there was nothing left in the tank in that game. They thought, well, there we are. We'll go back, go back to Hyuka, and um, we'll we'll win it there. I, I think that must have been the mentality. Um, Mika, what was your take on that series? Well, I think the main points were given there by by both of you, but. I just think that um, 
Well, I would say that the whole whole series, just like the final series, is is like uh, at some point I gave up by I gave up trying to rationalize what is happening. I mean, uh, from the tactics point of view, because nothing nothing in those games, no event that happened, uh, you couldn't make any conclusions from that. What is going to happen next? So that was that was the main thing, and that that was kind of confusing to watch because uh, I think that, for example, in the Vimpoli uh, Sotkamo series, okay, I thought that the game tree it's gonna be a tight affair and uh, small details might matter and stuff like that. But I think that in that game it was it was more like the the the, the game management skills of Sotkamo kicked in, so they they had more. Uh, they had more experienced guys who knew how to do the right thing that things at the right time. They didn't try to force the game by that was a good example by trying to take a lead too big, just making an individual error uh, from a leading player that is, and setting an example that is that like uh, it gave the momentum to Sotkamo with just. When they really didn't earn it, at that at that point, I thought that okay, this Sotkama team is far more vulnerable, far more uh, question marks on their outfield than I thought, and that's why I was actually before the finals, I was actually uh, on the side of Kobola. And uh, as a, as a side note, I don't I don't know if you guys. Uh, recognized that but when I made a quick Twitter poll that uh, the predict the predictions for the men's and women's final series Pertoruska came out and predicted two two nil Kovala. So it was <laughs> he, he, he that that was his take after the semifinals. Speaking of the, the semifinals, the other uh, matchup was uh, Yonsu against KPL, and um, well, I predicted that it would be two nothing um, to Yonsu, and it'll be another final for them. But I was wrong, um, and I think m- many people were, were were wrong as well. And and KPL, uh, um, I should have kept my faith in KPL because at the at the very outset of the season, you may recall. One of the bold predictions I had was uh, that KPL would be in the in the final. I actually thought that they'd probably win the whole thing. Um, but yeah, the, the the season kind of imploded for for Yoan Su there. It um, they'd been on this twenty three game winning streak, and one wonders whether that maybe the pressure was on them to perform, as we were talking a moment ago, and KPL almost thought well we've got nothing to lose here we've, we've got to go for it what, what was your take on that uh, Miko? well well first of all before the semi-finals uh, once again I made a prediction for the scores for the results of the semi-finals and in the two previous years I had the other semi-final pair where where Jonsu didn't play I had that spot on spot on and this year I had Sotkamo to win 2-1 and I, I said before after giving my prediction 
to bake cause I, I said to people in the so that okay I'm sorry for you guys because in the two previous years I have uh, predicted that Bimpeli will take take it against the Oensu by 3-1 in the semi-finals and this year I predicted that Joensu will take it 2-0 against Kobola and so I said after that prediction that okay this uh, I changed it that you're, <laughs> you guys had done but uh, Okay, I was watching the first game uh, at the stadium, and uh, I mean, in the first Yaksa, uh, Yama was, Yonso was feeling completely in control. It was just like watching the regular series games, the regular season games, that they were completely in control, relaxed, and in the perfect mood. And uh, uh, in the second Yaksa, uh, after winning the first one, it was tied in the fourth uh, inning, and one one out, Kobola were forced to create a run from somewhere, and Matti Latvala had a great run, uh, and they won the second Yaksa. And after that, the atmosphere changed completely. Okay, and nobody, uh, and that has to be said uh, for as a major positive, as a major, uh, I don't know how to say it, but I, I respect the fact that nobody from Joensu was they nobody went behind the injuries they had two key players out of the out of that series and we all knew that injuries would play a major part in this short series but the mood switch the mood change the experienced team of Kovala they they what well they smell blood to be honest they they, they got after your mind they they just absolutely demolished them and like like Ian, like you said, that Jonsu's offense, they, they, that never really got going in the playoffs. Uh, against Patioki, they just they only conceded one run in each yaksa in throughout the whole series. But when when the when their offense offense didn't get going, it created a lot of pressure to the outfield, and in the end, even that cracked up. And so imploding is the perfect word to describe uh, USO season end. Ron, what was your take on the, the series? Um, I didn't spend a ton of time with that series, to be honest. Uh, I, thought, I thought broadly, though, in terms of whether that series or in just in general, I thought uh, Putamaki did a, did a solid job of trying to keep things together. I feel like he was a really good anchor for them. Um, you know, whether bad or good, I feel like. Yeah, like like I said, they didn't they didn't seem that they couldn't seem to get it together, especially compared to the last couple of years. I saw them live last year, so I know how scary that team is to watch offensively. Obviously, they're not they have the same players this year as they had last year, but I've seen that team up close, so I know how dangerous they can be when they get going. Um, and the only the only consistent thing that I saw this season compared to watching them in the past was Apudamaki being able to like you know kind of hold us together from the behind behind the plate. Um, and trying to sort of be the captain of the, captain of the team um, on the field. And, and I think that's really what held them together. I feel like I watched them thinking, man, he's still his, he's still himself. But if the rest of those guys couldn't seem to get it, get their heads in it. And I, I saw online, we'll talk about it later, that, you know, like there's a lot of things hanging over the cloud of the team and sort of the future or sort of the players and, and things like that that may have made it hard for them to to go get the 3 Um But yeah, yeah, it, it was it was tough to, to me, tough to see them go out like that. Um, given how tough they'd played. Although I will say that, obviously, I think that last game, last bronze game, I know we didn't get there yet, but that last game was definitely a grinded out affair. Um, 
but yeah, I didn't I didn't watch them as much as I as as I as, uh, as I did the other series because as you, any of you know, the games come on here between four a.m. and six a.m. in the morning, and so it's it's hard to it's hard to invest that much energy. Although I tried a lot. <laughs> Well, um, before the uh, the series in, in the semi-finals, I, I picked players to look out for. And one of the players I'd picked out to, to look out for for KPL was uh, Tommy Meintoster. Um, and in game one, he was um, six successful attempts out of nine getting to first base, scored two runs, um, was the, the most um, impressive player for, for KPL on the day. And you know, he he really started to come into his own a little bit in that game. One of the other things I wanted to talk about was uh, the fact that that game ended in a scoring contest. And uh, Miko, you and I had talked um, before the start of the season, and I think we were talking about it on Twitter, whether it's necessarily fair or, or proper to, to have playoff games determined by scoring contests. Or should they just keep going, say like they do in the uh, the NHL or something, where you just have overtime after overtime after overtime, or in, in baseball in America, where you know you just play innings until twenty seven, twenty eight innings have gone by? Uh, do you think that it, it was a fair result in ending in a scoring contest? Well, the result was probably fair. I mean that that has to be said. Then when you play by the- by those rules, you know, everybody knows how to prepare for that and so on and so on. I mean, I, I'm just looking at, at it. We're talking about a broader perspective of things. How can you give the best possible chance of winning the game in the most like sportsmanlike way, if you, if you will? And it's not like, uh, uh, you don't, uh, like, for example, ice hockey, that you don't decide the Stanley Cup game seven by a penalty shootout, and you're not gonna do that. You're not gonna do that in the baseball World Series that you create some kind of a scoring contest all of a sudden after nine innings and so on. And so it's a simple way for me. And uh, but to be honest, uh, I'm just I'm a little bit surprised that some people in Finland are. They are totally against the whole idea, even though this scoring contest has been there for only 20 years or so. But I would say that the people in the game, they would be ready for the change. But the people watching the game, they are not like, um, they, they just want their thrill, so to say. And, uh, but that's, that's my take that they, they should just play extra innings, uh, until they get a winner. Well, the the momentum in in that uh, that series really shifted, uh, and I think as soon as that winning streak had, had broken for Yonsu, the bubble had burst, uh, and you know KPL back at uh, KSS uh, Stadium, it, it was it, it was too good an opportunity for them to miss, and they really seized it, and the, the amount of um, expertise and uh, experienced veteran players that they had uh, on their lineup they 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 really went for it then and and uh, yeah they they uh, they overpowered Yohan Su's defense I, I felt well I think that'll 
do it for this part of the podcast because we'll come back next and we'll talk about the finals and the bronze match before moving on to this year's awards. Okay, uh, welcome back. So, from those final four, it was uh, Sotkamo versus KPL uh, in the final. And um, at the outset, I predicted that it would be 2-1 KPL. I think, Miko, you were were in a similar um, boat. I think a lot of people were thinking, uh, KPL have got this. This is their year. It's going to be be fantastic, etc. I went out on a limb and said, I think the first game's going to Sotkamo at home. You know, they'll they'll take that, not a problem. But KSS will be a very different uh, arena for them. Just like in the Yoansu series, I think KPO will dominate and then the last game will be pretty close. I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> but I hold my hands up to that. Um uh, when when I, I I saw um, KPL in, in game one uh, against Sulcamo, the w- the way they they grinded out that win, um, I thought, well, there we are. That you know, surely this series is is going to end um, on the Sunday, so the following day, um, and we were we were in talks to try and wrap up this podcast and do it earlier, but of course we've we've done it a week later um, because game two didn't go that way. Um, Mika, what did you make of that series? Well, I nicknamed it the popcorn series because that's it, that's what it was. I mean, you could or or a roller coaster or whatever you will call it. That I just as I said, just like I said earlier, that also with this series, after two games, I gave up with the prediction. Because, because how can you predict stuff like that? But games like that, because even after even after the two games, when the computers went through the simulations for the uh, to create the betting odds, for example, for the game game three and the eventual champion, and they came up with the like if you simulated if they simulated the third game like uh, let's say a thousand times uh, they they came up with the odds of 50 to 48 or 51 49 so it was it was a coin flip I mean and based on the two previous games that's exactly how it went and for when the when the game two in Kovola when it went to Superboro uh, super inning uh, after Kovola had absolutely demolished uh, Sotkamo in the second Yakso. There, there was, at this point, I thought that there, there is only one possible outcome, that Kovola will get the championship on their home turf, home ground, and in front of their home fans, and uh, 44 years of waiting is over, and all of that. And... Guess what happened? Rope Korhonen steps up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? Like, what else happens? And it's like, uh, uh, 
you, you get to see how much he enjoyed that in the the third game and he was like uh, he was in his element and uh, uh, like for example after the after the third game it was I think championship number 12 or 13 for him personally and uh, the reporter came to him and said that okay uh, congratulations that this is this was your 20th um, individual personal medal uh, in super basis and he said that uh, who cares about the rest rest of those medals and championships is all that all that counts and and that was like we should have known in in hindsight that he's, he's the one who's gonna step up at that point but but it had been five years since they last won but he just he just stepped up and uh, then there was a small mistake and once again the momentum switched completely. Well, I uh, I had my uh, my parents uh, come round um, at, at that weekend and um, we had the the game on on the Sunday um, and my dad was watching it and you know he's been watching cricket he's been playing cricket for you know forty odd years at least. And he's been watching baseball for a good twenty odd years as well, and um, he, he was, was, you know, kind of just sat there. And, and by the end of it, he was just like, "This, this is mad! The, the ball's going off into the car park. They're chasing after it." You know, he was really into it. So it was, it was great to watch him sort of get into it and see the the highs and the lows. It was a bit of a roller coaster of a game, and and uh, Ropa, you know, you look at his statistics in the postseason. I mean. The, the guy's a monster when it comes to the postseason. You know, he, um, I think he's um, statistically the the, uh, the best hitter in the postseason in the Super Pacers era. Um, so yeah, you know, twelve uh, championship medals, and um, I think very firmly, you know, you can say that game it, it rested very much on his shoulders at that moment with that hit. Um, Game three uh, just became a bit of a, a washout in the end. You know, uh, Sotkama just overpowered. And I think there was nothing left in the tank from KPL. I think the disappointment of that game at KSS, the the close but not close enough first Yaxo in game three, and then all of a sudden it's ping, ping, ping all around Hyuka. <laughs> you know, the, the ball's going everywhere and, you know... Twelve uh, five in the end in the second yak, so there, there was very little they could do. Um, it was uh, it, it was a great series. Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, watching it. Um, Ron, what was your take on that? Yeah, again, um, sort of. I mean, someone who's really exhausted from watching. I mean, two things. One, Sakamo. Yeah, it's been five years. I joked with some Sakamo friends online, and I'm like, well, yeah, five years of Sakamo probably for not winning a championship. It's probably like a hundred years for everybody else. Right? Um, and so I can appreciate. So I said nothing, nothing away from them at all. Um, yeah, I think the deflation of not winning that game at home definitely was going to weigh on on KPL in the last game. Um, at least I got away from them in the end. Um, I don't think this obscures the fact that they had no business being there in the first place. Like, I'm happy. I mean, obviously, I know it's a bummer for the fans. I would be, I'd be gutted. I felt gutted watching it, and I was not invested particularly, you know, than me not wanting Sakamoto in another championship right now. 
but uh but 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 it doesn't take away the fact that they they played really well they played really good baseball it just couldn't quite get four innings enough together to finish the job right like that's what it came down to which is goes back to Nico's earlier point about like teams in their windows it was four innings separated them from a championship that's it, it was just four eighty to just put together four innings maybe five they could have won that first jack so in game three right to be able to to make your whole season rests on five innings that's it and so yeah i have nothing else to add other than you know say i think that at the end of the day that sakamo team that's a machine they know how to win baseball games um, and they proved it you know and from from up top to bottom you know um and i and i love seeing that i think that that as much as we talk about a team being successful in this league and seeing teams to be that consistent over time to have you know we go insert players into games who know what to do who grew up watching who know when they put on that purple and orange that that just means you win titles and if you don't win titles you don't belong there like that that's cool to see um hard to watch if you're not a fan of that team but cool to see a machine operate like that so that's all that's all i got about that there. well we talk about it only being five years since Sotokama won the last championship um but since that that golden period for Sotokama it's a it's a very different team now you know okay Roper's still there he's still um still churning out runs um Yannick Omelainen of course is now the game manager but we actually saw a couple of really young players um come through this year Apo Komalainen, of course uh, Kali Korsmanen um Costa Rica was 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 great for the team this year um and in fact um Artur Sastamoinen of course as well all four of those players won gold in the boys championship during the same week that three of them uh, Artur Sastamoinen didn't play in the in game 3 but the other three did then play against KPL in the deciding game i mean two championship winning games within a week i mean it's it's it, it's a tough haul for for uh, for them um but they they managed to to ride it out um do you think that these are some really bright talents coming through um miko 100 percent. that's there's there's just no question i mean how could there be any question when you when they are already champions in in the in the men's men's game but but Anyway, I, I mean, it's easy to say it now, but I've, all, I've also mentioned these guys earlier that, okay, they played for their reserve team last year in the Ukkospecies. And it was like, uh, Apokomolanen was a guy that when I when I saw him pitch, and we spoke about him when Berto was in the show, that that he he's special. I mean, the, the kid is really special. And not just like uh, he's also uh, he's good in the physical side of the game. He's a, he has a monster of a throwing arm, and he attacks the ball really well. But but man, he's got a like uh, the kid knows how to play, and he's not afraid to play. And he, he's the kind of a guy. I mean, he's uh, uh, it's amazing his courage to play he plays he knows he's good and he 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 has this confidence and uh, he and it doesn't get like knackered by the fact that you have 14 guys around you trying to disrupt you and stuff like that so he's definitely special and he's going to be one of the dominant forces 
uh, as a Lucari in this game for at least the next decade of, or maybe the next two decades, I would want to say. If we take a look at the top guys in that position, Koson and Pultimaki, those guys are 18, 20 years older than Apokomunalen is right now. I mean, for example, Topi Kosonen made his debut in Superpesis when he was 23. Uh, I'm sorry, 22. And this guy is a champion at 17. So, so yeah. And uh, Kalle Kosmanen also, he's he's a natural. I mean, he's a ball player. He's he knows. Um, I, 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 he has a great personality. He's like uh, really outgoing and a good person to have around in the team. And he makes like just like Ron said that these guys not not just that their dads are like if we would have a Hall of Fame, they would be Hall of Famers. But they're not just their kids. They're the guys who have grown, like, watching the game, playing different sports, and they have all the skills necessary. And this, uh, well, for example, the Rookie of the Year, I I can reveal it at this point that I I cannot just give it to one of these guys. It has to go to both of them for me, to be honest. But uh, yeah, they are special talents and uh, the kind of ones that this game really needs going forward because a lot of top players are going to retire soon and it's good to see talent like this coming true. Well, outside of the championship game, there was, of course, the bronze match. Uh, Jonsu's last chance for, for a medal this season... Um, after being on a, a, a streak of medals. Um, but uh, Vimpoli put an end to that in a spectacular way in Game 3 at Karubi. Um, I, I think, Ron, you were tweeting, you know, they almost wanted to, to keep playing until until the winter had gone. Um, it, it was a phenomenal end, and it really showed that, that kind of grit determination from Vimpoli you know they were there they were there to get that medal and you know after after the season they'd had the growth they'd had they'd be damned if they weren't going to go and get it was that your impression yeah you know I it's funny calling back to your earlier conversation you all about the extra inning and and you know I'm a baseball fan I'm an American right but it's what I am and I don't love, I don't love the, I don't love the anticlimactic way that the baseball, baseball ends. I don't love it. Um, the even the even the split sets thing doesn't really appeal to me. I wish I could watch, I wish I watched, watch, I watched baseball as a kid so that I would know what it's like to watch a non-inning baseball game, just like a regular, like the way it used to be. Um, and so to watch 13 innings, I counted, I looked at the box score after 13 innings, which was like, you know, like ninth inning, super inning, and then, you know, uh, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th inning, four innings of extra inning uh, of uh, this run scoring contest. I thought, you know what? I don't care anymore. Can we just both get bronze and go home? Because it's ridiculous. It doesn't matter. This game doesn't matter. Although I know a lot of fans come to the games now and I, I learned that. I didn't realize how big those those bronze games draw. So now I get why you would do it financially. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a, it typified the season that Vimpolis had, especially in the playoffs of like, oh, you need six runs? We'll get seven. Now, mind you, they grinded it out, but I, I thought it would have been a real bummer for them. For Yajoma, a bronze, yeah, okay, you keep your streak going, but they didn't come to win bronze. They were supposed to win gold this year, 
And so for them, I mean, I know it's a bummer, but it's like that team is, is for the years they've had, it wasn't it wasn't going to be satisfying for them to do that. And you can see why they were just trying to hold on. It's like holding on to a rope that you're going to drop. Whereas Vimpoli, it's like, yeah, they're hungry. And like they came in motivated to prove, like you said, that that they deserve to be back on top of that metal, that metal, that metal uh, uh, stand. And so I was really happy about that for them. Obviously, besides being a fan, I was happy to see them do what they did all year. Folks who are watching that game to see them do what they've done all year, which is, again, grind out wins, pull out victories, um, and figure out what they needed to do to get just enough runs, just enough in to pull it off. And so it was cool to see that the last game of the year was like a story arc of their entire season, I feel like, of, oh, I need a run, I'll get to. So it just typifies, I think, really just their whole season. It was really cool to see them, to see them end the year the way they sort of did it for weeks. And Miko, it must have been tough for, for Yo and Sue to find themselves in, in that bronze match when, when really they should have been. You know, they, they, they had such a, um, a perfect season, really. Uh, not to be fighting for the championship must have been a real, uh, a real disappointment for them. Um, Ron mentioned that perhaps the, the, the fight has sort of gone out of them. They, they're almost trying to hang on, whereas really Vimpley really needed to get that medal. Was that the sense you got? Well, in a way, yeah. But, uh, okay, it was a disappointment for Jonsu to not be in the finals. But but they also realized that this was the last, last chance for this team that had been together for such a long time and they had spoken things through about like who's going where and the team is going to go through a new building process after the season and and they made a good I mean I I really like the fact that they made a point that they didn't lose any game because of that but they lost because the other team was better and that was that was the sense that I got from the uh, third bronze medal game that it was like a it was like a watching a boxing match where they was it was just like watching Rocky, for example. <laughs> they, they they were hitting each other, and the the last the, the last guy standing just got the medal. And at some point, it was like that the both of them should throw the towel, and it should be stopped and play played again like nine months later when you have actually recovered from the game. But but it was just Vimpeli just. Match them like and strike, strike by strike, and eventually they just were the better team, and that's what USO said too. That that was that was why they lost. And uh, the bronze medal games are always like uh, an op- opinion splitter, if you will. That should they be played, and all the players would want them to play just as a one game. Not as a series, but uh, we go with this, and uh, you get the best teams uh, this way too. Well, that brings us to our our final segment for the series, um, and that's our Super Pessis Roundup podcast awards. So, myself, Miko, and Ron, we've all had a a, a chat about who we think um, the most valuable player, 
and the men's and the women's team uh, have been rookie of the year and so on so uh, I'll unfurl the red carpet uh, and we'll start going through our awards um, we'll start with the most valuable player in the men's uh, there were a couple of nominations for this um, to name a few Yoni Rydkinen, Patrick Walston, Jukupekvainionpa and Nico Korhonen tallying the votes between us um, it's actually split between uh, Patrick Walston and Nico Korhonen. Um, I, I think they both had a, a pretty a decent year. I think for me, Walston uh, suffered being on a poor team uh, overall. Uh, and likewise, I think Nico's um, attributes sort of go a bit unmentioned because he is part of a team with players like Joni Röntgen and um, Robo Gorhonen and Lauri Rönke, who, who all had really good years, not to mention all the, the drama we saw with uh, with the pitchers. Um, Mikko, you chose uh, Nico Gorhonen um, as your, your main pick. Um, what impressed you this year about Nico? Well, first of all, the the player of the year concept in in Finland is it is it's always it's a yearly discussion that does the player of the year need to be from the championship winning team and that hasn't been the get, case always I mean there are exceptions but that's like the quiet rule that you pick somebody from the winning team and that's kind of for me that's kind of stupid. Uh, because okay it may be from the win but they are not they are not picking the most valuable player for their team they are picking the best player of the season and but why are you giving the most value why are you giving the best player of the playoffs if you then need to pick the best player from the championship winning team i mean uh, but when we talk about nico korhan okay uh for <sighs> Even for the people who watch games every now and then, he's, he's kind of a guy who flies under the radar a bit. I mean, he's not the most flamboyant player and he's not the most outgoing social social media person or anything like that. He's just... He has super good attributes and he has developed into a really... Uh, high-level all-round player who who is there on the clutch moments just like we saw in the game three hitting a home run at the start of the game and, and he's one of the key players on the outfield i mean uh, last year i said said it that and even uh, throughout the season i said it that if Sotkamo wins the championship, Jone Rytkonen needs to be the player of the year. But I changed my mind because he kind of, he, he, he disappeared a bit. Uh, to, uh, I mean, towards the end of the season, even he, he played well, but not by his standards. But Nico Koronen was uh, phenomenal in the later stages of the season. And uh, even when the team faltered and when they lost their those leads and stuff like that, he was one of the few who was able to remain his standards. And that's why he was like my player of the season. If, if we would go with the most valuable player for their team, uh, 
um, whilst then would just run away with it, to be honest. And Ron, your pick was uh, was Wilston. Um, I mean, do we need to even say anything? I mean, he. I mean, you might as well have put his name in the standings as as opposed to Koskinen Kortvars, uh, because he was carrying that team for for pretty much the whole season. Yeah, the only thing I'll say, the only thing I'll add, you know, the only thing I'll add is that I was like, basically, when I picked him, because I could have picked, there were ten guys we could have picked, right, based on other things. Um, my thought was, is imagine him on any other team in the league that's going to be the playoffs, and think about how different that team would have looked, or how they would have played with him in that lineup, somewhere playing in the you know the middle of the order or something. And that's how I pictured it. I'm like, gosh, imagine him and you know. Or Vimbley, <laughs> right? Or you know, gosh, not Sakamo, right? Or you know, KP out. Like all of a sudden, you'd be you you know they'd be celebrating a title right now, right? Um, so I just thought that that's an MVP when you're like, put him on that roster. What do they look like? How does that play out? So now we come on to the most valuable player in the women's super basis this year, and the uh, nominees uh, were Verpihuka, Emma Kirke, Janet uh, Lepisto and Susanna Puiston. And it was pretty close, but in the end, Verpihuka has it. Um, Ron, that was your pick, and I split my vote between uh, between Verpi and, and uh, Emma Kirko, um, just because some of the numbers that uh, Emma Kirko was, was putting up in some of those games. But when, when you talk about the value that Verpihuka gave... To, to her team and then you know when she, when she ended up uh, being injured in in the postseason I mean it was it was it was a real tragedy to to see um what were your highlights uh, Ron in terms of therapy yeah I I talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of just like how how deflated it, deflating it was although I will say that that team did a good job of trying to fight without her but it just was just tough to do with the anchor. Um, I do want to touch on the other names you mentioned really briefly because Emma Corco just, I mean, just was on another planet in terms of just watching her performance. She dragged that team to victories during the season. I mean, it was just like, there's a game where she had two home runs, like 80 RBI or something crazy, and like nobody else on the team had done anything close to that. Like, just the performance, I had never seen anyone, I mean, I've only watched baseball in you know, 10 years, but like, I'd never seen anything like that dominant before. I didn't know you could do that in this game. So that was amazing and awesome to watch. Over 100 RBI in a shortened season. Had it, like That's just bonkers to me. So like shout out to her. Um, Lapisto had almost 60 RBI in 15 games. See how good she is. That I mean, like that she was. if you look at the top list of top 10 players in the women's side with RBI, she's in the, she's in the top 15 or something, and she only played 15 games. Like It's just crazy course as a you know Lapua fan myself like she's great but she's the engine of that team makes them go um and um uh pissed from um the Pori player as well I thought she was uh, that team was fun they were a fun team to watch all year they got a really balanced attack offensively um but it really starts and ends with her so yeah I think all of them are deserving players like they do different things for their teams but I think each one of them is the MVP of their team like the way they were able to again do the different things they did was was really fun to watch. I'd love watching the women's game this season. So much respect for the, for the way they played all of them this year. Hmm. And I think a special credit goes out to the fact that the the women's super passes started a few weeks earlier than the the men's when when things were still 
a little tense about the coronavirus. You know, there, there was still a lot of restrictions in place. Um, you know, that that's some real bravery there from the women to, to go out there and, and really, really tack that season. Um, Miko, you uh, chose Emma Kirka. Um, what, what were your highlights from her? Well, the highlight is that if you take the main three categories in the offense, like RBIs, the running and the moving the point runner forward, and she was in the top three in all those in the regular season. Uh, then we take into con- consideration the fact that on the outfield, uh, she's the most intelligent player in the women's game by by a country mile. And you you could take men's like you can take a lot of men's teams and all, all the men's superpasses, and you will st- still struggle to find a more intelligent player that makes the four players around her so much better. And that was the main point that they they were coming off two championships, but they lost key players such as Hooker. And they they were uh, bringing the players who were previously number six and seven to uh, like numbers two and three and so on, and having a player like that on the on the field to develop them that was the key. And I was, I mean, I was so eager to see in the finals that we just spoke spoke about it uh, before the final series with some of my friends who were. Uh, the game managers in the women's superpasses this season. And they, they were just saying that it's really interesting to see that now Hookah is going against the game manager who, so to say, built her, made her the player that she is. And so Nala Villian and the game manager of Kiritare, we thought that he's, the, he's probably the only guy who can stop stop her because she knows the way way she plays so well but yeah i mean when we saw her limp out of the field at the start of the game game one uh at that point uh, the 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 series was done uh, to be honest i mean that's how much that's how much uh she meant i think that it was so uh which is spoke about it with the guy who makes the odds for our national betting company and he said that losing hookah uh, made more of a difference than for a hockey team to lose their whole first line like in in terms of statistics and the betting odds that's more more of a percentage change in the series and in a single game but uh, that, for me, it was a two-horse race. Those two names were a pick above the rest, and uh, Gurka was the dominant when they won the championship. For me, um, she's the player of the year. Moving then to our rookie of the year, um, we've only got the men's category uh, for this this year. Um, Three nominees, um, Apo Komalainen, uh, Yusuf Mulyanemi, and uh, Kali Korsmanen. And uh, Apo Komalainen gets it, um, as far as I'm concerned. I know he only played in nine games in the 
regular season, but he, he pitched throughout that postseason. And at, at 17 years old, I mean, you know, in the role of pitcher, to, to walk away with a championship is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, having the extra pressure of his his, his father being the, the game manager as well. I know a lot of people have been sort of highly critical of the decision to um, to bench um, Valiaho. Um, but when I, I used to, you know, play cricket and my dad used to be the coach and I played, I can, I can tell everybody now, I played nowhere near as good as anybody has ever played the game. Um, but there was a lot of pressure on me being the coach's son to actually do something good. Um, that, you know, th- there was an extra element there. And so I think not only did he overcome any pressure there, but he showed a lot of maturity, a lot of, a lot of wisdom in terms of his game tactics, um, which a 17 year old probably shouldn't have, um, Mika, what, what what do you make oh, of that? That's just spot on for me. That's that's exactly how it went, and I I, I got nothing to add to that for once. And Ron, anything, anything you can add to that? Yeah, I didn't pick a rookie of the year because he's not he's not playoff MVP though. And I just you know obviously watching it from the other side of it, you know, for a couple of games, and then um, as a, an opponent opposing fan, I just I was really impressed by his poise. Um, I mean, the only real comparison that we have in terms of not pitcher, but a young player being dominant at postseason several years ago is Portuguska, who showed up as a 15-year-old in the police championship a couple of years ago. You know, it was the best hitter on the team. Uh, but to do that, but to be 17 and to do that as a pitcher, it's a totally different level of insanity. And so, yeah, I was just, every game he impressed me more and more, taking over the game, being dominant. Showing, you know, what that position does for, for, you know, on the field. So a quarterback of the field in many ways, I feel like, for me, was fascinating to watch a young player have that kind of poise. It was just maddening, maddeningly, maddeningly awesome. So good for him. And that brings us to our next category, um, which uh, appropriately is Pitcher of the Year. So uh, for the men's, we've got um, we've got three uh, possible nominees. Uh, we've got uh, Yannick Vipelto, uh, Apokomalainen, and Juha Putimaki. And the winner is uh, Yannick Vipelto. Um, whilst uh, Apokomalainen did uh, an outstanding job, uh, and Juha Putimaki had that incredible winning streak under his belt as well, um, I just felt there was a lot more command from Yannick Vipelto in, in the games during the regular season and then beyond into the postseason as well. Um, Mika, what was your take this year on, on Kivipelto? Well, I think the emphasis here is on the word uh, pitcher of the year, uh, pitcher of the season. I mean, uh, when we take that into consideration, I would say that we only have two options. And I I, I think uh, Kivipelto and Bultemaki were those before the semifinals. And... Uh, I think that Kimi Pelto, uh, uh, I'll just let's put it this way that I thought that Putimaki played a really good game despite Yama losing uh, to Kovala. But uh, Kimi Pelto is a really good overall Lukaru. I mean, he, he on every, every category, uh, 
that needs to be handled by a top rope guy. He's got those skills, and uh, he's uh, like he's thirty now, and nowadays his game management skills are on a high level. So he's like uh, he's not once again he's not the most flashy of the of the Lukare, but he has the, he has a good physique but he he can throw the ball hard and from different angles and make good uh, plays and stuff like that but he's a smart he's a smart looker and for me I I, I, I really like him the way the way he plays and uh, for me he's the uh, just like he he won the award two years ago and some people deemed it to be controversial because they lost the finals to Yoma. And I said that it really doesn't matter because when you take the whole season into consideration, he was the best. And for me, it's the same now. Any views on that, Ron? No, I don't have anything to add. Other than say, Furumaki was, I think, that was the, you know, for the most of the season was a really, was. He showed why he's a you know he's, he's a legend and, and why that team has won titles. Um, was fun even in the bronze game to see him holding it down. He played those games like they were gold medal games, and that was cool to see. Uh, that he had the same intensity, same dedication, and maybe not almost pulled it out. So that's all I have to say about him. But just one quick thing to add that some some years ago we were talking about the future of the role of Lukare because the top players in the, that position were like uh, Kosono and Puhtimaki the same names we're talking about now but uh, they were already in their like 30 plus years and we had no young guys coming through and now when we take a look at the other semi-final we talk about Peretoruso so Ruska, like he's a seasoned veteran, which he is, but he's 19 for God's sake. I mean, two sub 20 guys play in the men's semifinals. And then we have Jesse Eskelinen of Kite turned 23 this year, for example. So in top five, we have three guys who are like 20, 23 or younger. So that's like case closed. We got them. So our next award is the Pitcher of the Year for the uh, Women's Super Pesis. And there were um, three nominees uh, for this. Uh, Mari Manstenen, uh, Seni Salinen, and Mintu Vetenranta. And the winner was uh, Mari Manstenen. Um, Mika, what impressed you about Mari this year? Well, she was the most consistent. And uh, I think that her... One, once again, uh, I'm, I'm talking about this all the time, but her, her game management skills that uh, develop when you play the, the hardest games, the toughest games against the best teams and you get the best, get the best coaching and she, she's really competitive. And, but nowadays she knows how to like handle, handle her temper and, pointed towards good things and uh, I mean I both both her and Senni Sallinen are uh, from the same area as I am and they they used to be uh, I used to coach them when they were a little bit younger and I I'm really happy to see them to develop to this 
point and uh, and also that uh, the fact that she steered her club to a third consecutive championship was the main main point for me she was really good well this uh, brings us on to our our final award um kind of a bit of a downer to end the, the the awards on this but the disappointment of the year and wow um th- there were a couple of uh, of picks for this um nominees included Senioki's poor end uh, to the season uh, the fact that we had the season interrupted by the coronavirus and the late start um Patioki's poor regular season performance and Yoensu imploding um, in the postseason, and um, the winner is Yoensu with their their implosion in the postseason. It was uh, for me. It, it was it was really anticlimactic to see them just stumble, and it, it was such a defining moment. The the first game in the series against KPL, it was one in the scoring contest for KPL. And it, just everything changed then. You know, and so we're just on a slide. The the winning streak was over, and you know they couldn't string together the offense that they needed to win those games. And at that point, KPL had found a way to break open that Yonsu defense. So it, it was really disappointing to see that winning streak end that way, and then for them not to get a medal either I, it was such a shame and i think miko as you mentioned before um as a group of players you know this was their their last season to to play all together as a group of players some some players of course moving on as well um what what was your take on that disappointment well i think that it's a prime example of things that can happen when you play this kind of a series that it's not like the Premier League or something that you play uh, 38 games of regular season and who gets the most points is the champion but you just played the regular season and it was like uh, I, I, I think that after the season when the current sports director of the club Petri Benanen, who was the game manager two years ago when they won the won the first championship, uh, he said after the season that in hindsight, it would have been a good growing experience to actually experience some losses at some some stage in the middle of the season. And uh, I, I mean, I I still think that when when we went to the playoffs, they were like a fifty percent favorite to win the title, and it this just showed that these teams are really close. And when we play this kind of a thing, best out of three, and we play with a game of two periods and stuff like that, it, it's always it always gives a team a chance to to stay in the game. And a couple of uses. They they are they are a great team, and they used their shot, and they were the better team in that series. And but obviously it was a big disappointment for them. It, it goes without saying. But but then again, I I still think that it's good to have this kind of uh, 
changes of the how should I say you know what well, let's just say the changes in inside the season Ron I think you had a, a disappointment that was outside of the uh, nominees that we had this year what was your disappointment for this season yeah my disappointment was um my disappointment was that we had the Lapua uh Ivascula uh semi-final instead of a final that should have been the final and, and I'm just biased saying that I feel like fans of both teams were like what's what we really need is just that game should be the final and so it's kind of bummed that we had to do that same final it was a tight match tight series and it'd been fun to see them go head to head in a, in, a, in a you know pushing a five game so that I think it would have been more competitive um than what we ended up getting even without the injury I think it just would have been a, would have been a better series but you can't win them all well um for me um, it, it was it was quite a shock to see to see Yo and Sue um, end their season that way. Um, I I was a little troubled by the way that Partioki, um really imploded halfway through the season. They, they they didn't do so well, and then of course they had some injuries, and they looked like they were going to be completely out of the top eight. Um, they did manage to pull it back. Um, for me, the the late start of the season as well was was a bit unnerving. There was a, there were points in the year where it looked very dark. It looked like we weren't going to have games at all. It looked like clubs wouldn't survive financially. Um, but I suppose, despite all of these disappointments, the main thing is that we got through a season as we started the show with um, without any incident. We had an incredible season, um, and it, it was thanks to all the players, the coaches, the back staff, all of the fans who turned up to all of the games as well um, that that made it possible. Um, so I want to leave on a happy note. Um, it's it's been uh, an incredible season, an incredible series for this podcast, um, and I want to um, specially thank my co-hosts for joining me um so uh, thank you miko thank you it's been an absolute pri- privilege and I, and I mean it i mean uh, about this season uh, shortly that it's it really feels amazing that we got through this we got through the season and we actually got the just all, all of the things that you mentioned and also it seems like the clubs are they are managing quite okay financially i mean the players they understood the situation they had to take a bit of bit of a pay cut or or actually a lot of the pay cuts but one if there's if there's one good thing that can come out of this situation uh in addition to getting the actually getting the games played it's that uh this this season there were no like free meals for for the spectators so you couldn't get free tickets and people stopped asking for those so it was like people were actually paying to get to the games they were paying the actual price that is like and uh, that's not a given in Finnish sports that you you always manage to get a free ticket from from someone and from somewhere to some company and stuff like that and and a lot of companies around sports they made a responsible decision that they 
they stopped giving away these free tickets. And uh, I, I thought that that was a great thing. And uh, the, in that way, even though the teams were able to get a reduced amount of spectators in, their actual, actual ticket revenue was uh, in in a lot of clubs it was bigger than uh, than on on a so-called normal season. So I hope that that sticks and that that becomes a tradition and a new normal. And I also want to thank my other uh, co-host Ron Bronson. Yeah, this has been great. It's been a great season, both of you. Um, it's been fun to talk about the games and to, to reflect on this stuff. And, and shout to Ian for, for, for putting this together and, and being dedicated and being so comprehensive. It's been seriously like it makes, I think it makes, as a fan of the game, you know, it makes the game fun to, to have this outlet and have this vehicle to get other people as into it as we are. So I thank you both for, for a fun season. Let's get to the Holly SM, huh? So that only leaves me to thank you, the listeners, for uh, listening to us uh, throughout this series. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the episodes. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll be having some uh, bonus episodes or, or new content coming up uh, fairly shortly. But other than that, we'll be back in the new year, uh, looking at how all the moves have uh, occurred between teams during the off-season and uh, dusting off the snow uh, to look at the Harley Sam games. But for now, uh, if you want to know more uh, about the sport, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, that's at superpesis r, or you can check out some of the articles on my blog at superpesisroundup.blogspot.com, and stay tuned for more exciting articles and content on Persepalo in English. But for now, from me, Ian Alba. Goodbye. If you've got something that's hidden far away